Blog Talk Radio. Well, it's the Reverend John St. Germain with Plan B. Blog Talk Radio didn't provide its music, so I did. I got my Native American flute out and played it myself. So suck it, Blog Talk, which means that my theme music will probably kick in sometime, but we don't care, do we? Ha, we beat the system. We stick it to the man. Tonight, we're going to talk about justice. Ha, we don't care. Go away. Go away. We don't need you. Bye. Well, I don't play it as prettily as uh, this chap, but, you know, what the heck? We had music anyway. So that's going to go. There it goes. It goes away. Ha. Huh. Now, what we're going to do is uh, talk about justice. Uh, Trump 11, or in the old system. Ha, 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 Blog Talk Radio. Ha, ah. Blog Talk Roulette. And uh, we're going to talk about Moonstone. So why don't you just come back in just a moment? And uh, we will... Enjoy this little uh, fragment of music that seems to be coming in from the sacred ether plane or the twilight zone. This is the poor, besotted Reverend St. Germain, once again wrestling with Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a moment. we're back. Hey, guess what? This is episode number 182. My goodness, thanks for sticking with us this long. Except those of you who haven't, and you won't know because you're not listening, unless you have like a Ouija board or something and you're getting messages from me, in which case, you know, well, why don't you drop in sometime? This is the Crystal Silence League, which for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, welcome. Uh, was started around 1917 by a magical adept named Claude Alexander Conlon. And his idea was to project positive affirmation and prayer through the medium of the crystal ball to all those in need of such. And he was a vaudeville performer who did stage demonstrations of psychic phenomena. And he retired and devoted himself full-time as a psychic uh, counselor and practitioner and uh, publisher of metaphysical fiction. And when he passed away in 1954, the league went with him until about 2007 when magical adepts of the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches brought it back to life on the internet where you can find it at www.crystalsilenceleague.com 
And if you go there, you'll see that we have a gift shop where you can buy literature. We have some books. We have uh, a book which is a compilation of writings from our founder, Claude Conlon, called Secrets of the Crystal Silence League. And you can buy it for about $10. Or if you buy $12 worth of stuff from our gift shop, like crystals and crystal balls, which come in very handy, you get a copy free. It'll be included with your order. There's some other books. Crystal Magic by the Reverend John St. Germain and Lithomancy, which is doing readings with crystals and stones and coins, by the way, and other things as well. There's a very good section on runes, for instance. And um, that's also by the Reverend John St. Germain, which is your host tonight and every other night. Uh, so we do post prayers. And if you go to the prayer page, you'll see that we get Sometimes 100, 150 prayers a week. And many people will pray for you if you do post a prayer there. And uh, every week we talk about a crystal. And this week's crystal is moonstone, which is a very nice stone. And sometimes selenite is moonstone. But there's also other types of moonstones as well. Um, you will find that there are blue moonstones and cat's eye moonstones and gray moonstone, white moonstone. There's yellow moonstone and a kind of a peachy flesh-colored moonstone. There's rainbow moonstones, which uh, look, if you shine light through them, acts like a prism. So uh, tonight we're going to talk about the pearlescent moonstone, the one that's very pearly. And um, uh, these stones are very magical. You charge them in moonlight. You leave them out in the moon. And you can clean or purify them by putting them in salt. Uh, the white selenite moonstones, if you put them in running water, they'll dissolve. You'll just have a handful of mush. So don't put them in water. And if you make uh, uh, elixirs of them, no, don't put them in water at all. You put them in a glass sealed container and put them in the water. Or as I do, and regular listeners have heard me say this, I get a wine bottle that has a uh, indented foot at the bottom. And uh, I put the stone on a saucer. I put the bottle over the stone and I fill the bottle with water and let the stone infuse its magic into the uh, bottom of the bottle. They make uh, water bottles like this. If you look in the bottom of them, they have a, uh, a bunch of crystals encased in glass in the bottom of the bottle. And you put water in it and the stones, you shake it and the stones are in the bottom of the bottle. You can do the same thing. You pick up your bottle, it's corked, and the saucer containing the crystal and shake it and uh, uh, rattle it a little bit. So it works very well. Moonstones help you with your intuition, uh, clairvoyance. Uh, they help you get in touch with your uh, inner femininity if you happen to be a guy. They bring out the feminine qualities, as my father's generation used to call them, empathy intuition, uh, compassion, these sorts of things. And uh, it helps uh, stimulate the nurturing qualities if you find yourself blocked. Uh, sometimes after trauma or emotional, emotional hurt, you shut down. And this can help uh, express those feelings. It helps in creative self-expression under certain circumstances. Um, and uh, it is one of a number of stones I will sometimes put in a bag to help people who deal with emotional eating. 
I do uh, weight loss counseling. I once weighed 325. I now weigh 195. And uh, I maintain this weight for about 20 years. It's not like a temporary thing with me. So I know of what I speak. So it's one of the stones that I'll, I'll put in a, a, like a mojo bag or a crystal bag for uh, emotional eating. Um, it's a, it's one of those ba- it's a good balancing stone that helps you attune to the natural uh, biorhythms of your body. So it's a very good stone. We do like it. I can give you a, sort of a, a crystal projection with it as we do in the Crystal Silence League. Um, you can take one of a very size. I've got a huge uh, moonstone globe. It's a it's a four inch selenite globe that I'll I'll meditate with. And if you're going to do a projection work with it, for instance. Um, or uh, something for your meditation, you can hold this in your hand or even a small one in your hand. And um, you you go into the silence, as we call this, and this is very good after a period of meditation. Um, uh, sit and focus your mind. Uh, a lot of people think meditation means you empty your mind. Well, good luck with that. It's very difficult to empty your mind. Meditation is a, a focusing with joyful anticipation. You sit and you focus your eyes. You don't close your eyes during meditation. Another uh, uh, misunderstanding, you pick a spot in front of you. Um, it's good to have a dot uh, on the floor, and you focus on that with your eyes turned downward. Uh, most of the statues you see of Buddha, his eyes are half closed. It's because he's looking at a spot in front of him, and you concentrate on your breathing in and out. You concentrate short breath long breath. You concentrate really on where the breath enters your nose. This is called uh, Anapanasati. And you focus in, out, in, out, in, out. And you can do this with your stone in your hand until you reach a point where you are totally focused on your breathing or the spot on the ground. And then you can go into the silence. And what we call going into the silence is going to the place of pure causation. Uh, This is a realm uh, if it's prosperity, it's where prosperity exists. If it's love, it's where love exists. In this case, with the moonstone, we're going to go to the place where pure psychic power exists. We're going to go to the spirit realm. We're going to go to the astral plane. We're going to go to the uh, uh, the area of clairvoyance. Uh, we talked a whole series about the astral senses, and that's where we go. And uh, you're holding your selenite ball, your moonstone ball, your little crystal, and we go into the silence, and we reach out to our goal, whatever we're trying to get. Let's say we're trying to connect to the spirit of a friend who may have passed into the other side, and we reach out using the stone as our focal point, and we bring that energy back in, and embrace it and that stone that moonstone can act as a catalyst for your intuition amplifying and focusing it um, if you happen to be a naturally talented spirit medium or psychic or clairvoyant uh, try this and see if it does not enhance your uh, natural abilities and if you find that you uh, tend to spontaneously go into these states um against your will, work with this moonstone and see if you cannot ground and control it. It may help. It may exactly help. So uh, that's our moonstone. Give it a try.
It's a wonderful little stone. As I have mentioned, if you go to www.crystalsilenceleague.org and go to the prayer page, you'll see lots of prayers. I invite you to go there and pray with me. We're about to commence our prayer portion. And we often pray in the Crystal Silence League with with crystals. We send our prayers out, uh, many of us, three times a day. We call it the daily method. And we always pray in the morning when the sun comes up and at night when the sun goes down. And on Tuesday night, like this, uh, it's about sunset here. Our sun goes down here about 8 o'clock. And uh, we never mention these prayers by name. We keep anonymity. And uh, although I see your names and your beautiful pictures that you set up there, you know, and God bless you. God love every one of you. I want to call out prayer ID number. So we start with prayer ID number 84759, who prays for protection from danger who says, please pray the public housing tenants are permanently removed ASAP across the road and the person shining the torch into my yard are arrested and the stalkers loitering outside my yard are arrested. My ex-M is outed to his family, work, friends, etc. for the lying, dangerous philanderer that he is. Amen. Wow. Prayer ID 84758. I pray that I am able to find a job and be hired so that I am able to make money during my internship and can stop stressing about my finances. I am very anxious about my finances. Amen. Praying for a money miracle. Prayer ID 84757, who's apparently starting a little company. And uh, she says, please pray for my little cleaning company which apparently is called the Pure Green Agency, to get more post-construction jobs. I really want to work a lot. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer ID 84756. Please, all the archangels and spiritual guides, occupy my sister in something else. Mm, To leave the family affairs alone. To stop sticking her nose and to stop stilling. All the prayers for her to be where she will be more useful in Jesus' name. Make F to occupy herself in something positive to stop plotting against me. I need all the prayers possible for none of the other siblings not to follow in her trap in stealing, stealing from us. In Jesus' name, all changes as soon as possible. Amen. It was spelled S-T-I-L-L-I-N-G. I didn't under It's stealing. Prayer ID 84755. Oh, wait a minute. Same one. It's a double. Double. Prayer ID 84754. The truth about Z is out. Z is an abusive narcissist that used people's pawns to get at the smart woman who dumped him three years ago. Z answers for the stalking via motorized parachute and drone. Hacking. Vandalism, prank calls, and his friends turn against him. May his mugshot be plastered on the news, and he loses his pilot license. Z's victim finally has peace and safety. May the Lord also bless you. Amen. Prayer ID 84753. Please pray a little prayer that me and my man stay together. We've had our ups and downs in the past. Managed to get through them and have a few crosswords the other day. I need to know I'm loved and wanted. He can't fully commit because of family. Complicated. And I worry it's too much for him and he will leave me. 
I know there are more important things other people have to worry about, but if you'll spare a few words for me in prayer, thank you. Love and good health and happiness to you all. Amen. Prayer ID 84750. This emerging connection with L might grow and deepen into something beautiful. Amen. Prayer ID 84749. Please pray for me and my family so we stay together for a lifetime. Our problems between us should end, and we should stay together with love and understanding. Please, Lord Jesus, I want peace in my life so all my family members stay in peace and love together forever. Amen. And prayer ID 84748. Pregnant and hurt, feel abandoned by lover. Anxiety's up and poor sleep. Please send angels to protection for my family and me. Need emotional healing and grounding. Lots of intense energy between us. Can't see if we love each other clearly. Protect pregnancy and bind us if necessary. Lover went down on me during period. Oh, dear. Energy's been intense ever since. Tried to cut cords and let positive in, but unsure if it worked. Amen. Prayer ID 84747. I pray that I will walk again and my health will improve. Less pains and less nerve pains. Amen. Prayer ID 84746. Please keep H safe in his travels and bring him back to me as soon as possible so I won't have to worry. May he also contact me as soon as possible when he comes back. St. Christopher, pray for him. Amen. Prayer ID 84744. Praying for the healing of my mother. The doctor believes she may have lung cancer. Praying that the scans come back negative and growths are benign. Praying for healing so she can come home. Prayer ID 84742. Dear Archangel Raphael, I ask for protection from danger, sickness, or interruption in the trip to CJ. I ask that you keep us both in the best health during our plans. Ask that our trip is protected from danger and interruption and cease completion. Surround us with the best of loving energy and healing during our trip. Thank you, kind Raphael. Amen. Why don't we take a moment of silent prayer and meditation for all those in need of comfort and support and healing.
Amen. Well, we're talking about Trump 11 today, justice. And we do see Lady Justice sitting on a throne, a scale in one hand, a sword in the other. And the interesting thing about uh, Lady Justice in this card is that there's some departures from um, uh, Arthur uh, E.A. Waits Justice and uh, the Lady Justice in mythology. Because if you've ever seen uh, justice outside of a courthouse, you'll notice that she's blindfolded, but not our justice in the tarot. Why is this? Well, um, Lady Justice uh, is usually an allegory, but um, at one time Lady Justice was a considered a goddess. Uh, um, um, Eustitia, the goddess of justice, was uh, from Roman mythology, but she was actually introduced into uh, the pantheon by the emperor Augustus. She's not a very old deity as far as uh, deities go. The Romans lifted most of their deities from uh, from the Greeks, and the Greeks lifted some of theirs from the uh, the pre-Grecian uh, uh, folks that lived before them and uh so uh uh Eustitia, uh, was a latecomer um uh, so augustus uh came up with various personifications of virtues so there's uh, justice and uh there was um um wisdom and a few others that uh um, prudence and things, uh, courage, etc., that were uh, uh, personified, and um, Augustus did this because, you know, of course, Augustus uh, was a Caesar, and the Caesars were considered uh, deities themselves. So, um, so there was a temple of uh, Eustitia, and here was uh, Lady Justice herself. So there are symbols associated. With Lady Justice, so this personification of justice balancing these scales goes before Rome back to the goddess Maat, M-A-A-T, and later Isis of ancient Egypt. Uh, the Hellenistic Greeks had uh, their goddesses uh, Themis and Dike uh, were also goddesses of justice. Uh, Themis was the embodiment of divine order that things had to be in their proper place. There was this idea that there had to be order, there had to be law, there had to be customs, and these had to be obeyed so that otherwise chaos would rule. So we see that this idea of cosmic balance goes way back. It just didn't come into being. Um, so Lady Justice is a very old, and I hate to use the word archetype, but there it is, um, often depicted with scales, usually held in one hand. And um, so these scales are to weigh the arguments, are to weigh 
the strengths of a argument's uh, support and opposition. Um, um, and they, it's weighing evidence, weighing arguments, weighing the merits of the case. We also know, don't we, that um, Anubis holds scales, weighing the strengths of a person's moral character against the feather. So this idea of a scale, balance, justice. The blindfold um, came in about the 16th century or so. Um, it, the, it, it means impartiality. Uh, justice should be blind. It, it should not be swayed by a person's appearance, by their wealth, by their status, um, uh, by appearance. So uh, the sword came in, uh, we, we think the Romans, uh, the sword was in one hand, the scale in the other, but the eyes were uncovered. So the AE weight card seems to hearken to the Roman version, not the later version with the blindfold. So Justicia um, was only re represented as blind since about the middle of the 16th century. And the first known representation of justice being blind is statue around 1540-something uh, in Bern. Now, um, instead of uh, um, using a blindfold, many sculptures do not use the blindfold. Uh, the uh, Statue of Justice in London, the courthouse in London, there's no blindfold. Um, 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 the um, if you look in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, uh, there's simply a scale. Um, um, she is uh, she's uh, in Memphis. She's not blindfolded, but she doesn't have a scale. She's weighing it. She's got her hands out. She's weighing it in either hand. So that, that's very interesting. The uh, the um, sword represents the um, idea that well the sword can represent a number of things uh for one thing it's usually a double-sided sword you know which shows that there are both there are two sides of the argument but also the idea that justice can be very swift and it also can be very final i also think there may be some reference to uh solomon uh the story where he was going to settle the argument by dividing the baby in half. And if you don't know that story, we'll talk about it in a minute. Um, you all also almost always see uh, the Statue of Justice in a, in a Roman toga. Um, and uh, I believe this harkens back to the uh, origin, uh, you know, Lady Justice or Ustisha. And um, I believe that you do find um, this in almost all uh, versions of her. It also has this uh, air of uh, divinity. Now, as we go to um, the Rider Waite deck, we notice very, very interesting things. Um, for one thing, we see... Um, 
the female form sitting on a throne, but she's um, uh, we we understand looking at this. She, she does seem to be a female, but she's uh, sexually ambiguous. There there are no breasts, there are no no breasts in evidence, um, which would uh, tend to lend uh, credence to the idea that uh, there's no there's impartiality. You know, this is not uh, the, the the sexuality of justice doesn't seem to matter. The sword is double-edged. Justice is a double-edged sword. The scales are perfectly balanced, and we see that justice has one foot forward. Uh, she is about to rise to her feet to deliver her verdict. We see the same um, um, posture in uh, Michelangelo's Moses. He is about to rise to his feet. Moses was the lawgiver. He was the bringer of the law. He was the bringer of justice, the bringer of God's judgment. So we we have um, quite, a, quite a bit of um, correspondence here, don't we? What else do we see? We see two pillars with a drape behind her, which harkens to the high priestess. Now, um, what's behind that curtain? Well, is it the temple? Well, if it's justice, it's the courthouse, isn't it? So um, we don't have the pomegranates embroidered on it. We don't have anything embroidered. It's a very plain robe. So what is behind that curtain? Oh, my goodness. Is it the temple? Is it the temple that we saw in the high priestess? Well, there are two pillars. They're not marked J and B. Um, isn't it interesting? So let's let's delve into this this mystery of justice. Let's delve into it. We do know it. The image itself derives way back to the to Themis. Um, we know that um, many artists who made the uh, made the statues. Uh, referred to some of the uh, uh, icons of old uh, that were in the temples uh, dedicated to Themis. Um, the legal justicia uh, was blindfolded in many cases to demonstrate that the law does not discriminate and applies to the weak and the powerful. The principle of social justice, we recall, uh, properly belongs to the emperor. Now, the psychic laws of justice is an entirely different matter. This is how we advance spiritually. This is how we balance the past, the present, the future. This is why this, car this card, uh, this Jutisha wears no blindfold. This woman appears androgynous. We cannot be swayed by male, female. The sword is an emblem of action, obviously. It's, a, it's an emblem of aggression. It points straight upward. 
like the magician's wand. It's two-edged. which signifies choice. You can go either way. We have to make decisions. And once you make a decision, you can't go back. Every decision has consequences. And the sword represents those consequences. Every choice is a two-edged sword. Every time you make a decision, you have to accept the consequences. There's always good and there's always bad with every decision we make. Life is a fog. It's a cloud of possibilities, of potentialities. If you take, uh, it's like quantum physics, right? Um, everything is a cloud of potentiality until it resolves into a specific. You make a choice, you've eliminated every other possibility. This is why many people have trouble making a choice. They're balanced between indecision because um, there's all these equally attractive possibilities, and they know once they make a decision, they're committed. They can't go back, and so they, they stay balanced. There's a story in the Bible, uh, Balaam's ass. Do you know that story? Ass being a donkey, not Balaam's buttocks, but uh, it starved to death because it couldn't decide between two equally attractive bales of hay. And uh, there are many um, examples in real life of people who act like Balaam's ass. They, they never achieve anything because they're afraid to act. It's the double-edged sword. And sometimes the middle path may not always be the best thing. It says in the I Ching, the I Ching is basically uh, – it's a very complex book, but basically there are three courses of action that I Ching almost always recommend. Go forward, go back, or stand still. And the decision to stand still is a decision. It's not a lack of a decision. It's not doing nothing. Standing still is an action. The decision to stand still is a decision to do something. A lot of times you'll go, well, don't just stand there. Do something. Well, I am doing something. I'm standing here. I've made a decision not to move forward. And sometimes not moving forward is exactly the right thing to do. Sometimes doing nothing is exactly the right thing to do. Now, sometimes you can blunder forward and impale yourself on your own sword. Sometimes moving backward, retreating is the right thing to do. Sometimes to regain balance, you have to step back. Sometimes to stand up, you have to put one foot forward and one foot back. You have to regain your balance. So what do we see here with this? Um, it's very interesting. Um, and I've always been fascinated by that veil. There could have been anything behind justice. It could have been a mountain scene, an ocean. We see many, many backgrounds in the Rider Waite deck, and they were not just thrown in there at random. It wasn't like she looked out of the window and said, oh, I think I'll draw that mountain scene. Every aspect of these cards, you will find things. You'll see snails crawling around. You'll see uh, twigs and leaves and all sorts of details, and every one of these details has a meaning. Um, I will tell you that... Um, 
we often confuse doing things for action also. Um, a lot of times people will come in, sit at their desk, they'll sharpen pencils, they'll rearrange things on their desk, they'll organize desk, and by noon, they said, well, I've done a lot of stuff today. I've been very productive, but they've really done nothing. Really done nothing. I, I had a friend that did that. He spent a lot of time designing things, but he never mailed anything out or he never actually made a phone call. But he spent a whole lot of time on the computer do, uh, doing things. And I'm going to tell you that I have many colleagues in the spiritual business who spend an awful lot of time on Facebook thinking that they are promoting their business. But if I were to ask them or you or anybody, how much business are you really pulling in from Facebook, and you gave me an honest answer, I'll just leave it there. Because I'll tell you, I don't get much business at all from Facebook. I could close my Facebook account. It wouldn't hurt my business that much. It really wouldn't. It really wouldn't. So all the time you spend on Facebook. Are you really being productive? Uh, I don't know. I, I can't answer for you. So here we have this veil. This veil just fascinates me. And it does suggest the high priestess, but this red robe and the posture with one arm up and one arm down is not the high priestess where she's sitting relaxed. This is more like the magician. So we have a combination of uh, Trump 1 and Trump 2 injustice. We have the power of the magician and the repose of the high priestess. So is this telling us that true action, true magic, true action arises from self-knowledge? Wisdom arises from action? We've evolved from that earlier stage. Just in real life, like in this picture, the magician and the high priest are combined. Like a male and a female snake <clears throat> twined around each other in the caduceus or the double helix of DNA. So the color of this veil is usually purple. Now, people have played around with the colors of the Rider weight, but uh, traditionally it's purple, which is usually the, co the color used in uh, spiritual wisdom. The background crown and hair and scales are all yellow, which is mental force. And wisdom just doesn't come to you. It doesn't arise spontaneously. It's the product of work. We have to think about things. We have to contemplate our lives. It's been said that a life without contemplation is not a meaningful life at all. But our thinking goes nowhere if we're not thinking about the right things. We have to develop a clear understanding of truth. We have to think about the correct things if we're going to develop wisdom. No amount of contemplation of foolishness is going to create wisdom. So if the Wheel of Fortune represented a vision of how the divine integrates with your life, you know, who am I? What am I? Why am I here? How, 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 what's it? Free will versus uh, predestination, fate. Justice can indicate an understanding of the balance between free will versus divine will, 
our, our will versus divine will, fate versus free will, what have you. The way to understanding lies in our responsibilities, that our actions have consequences. So if we if we have this uh, belief that our lives just happened, that events just happened to us, that we react, that uh, we're victims of fate, then we're never going to understand our responsibility, accountability. We will never bring our own true selves into manifestation. If we don't understand that uh, who we are grows and evolves out of every act and every decision we make, then this wisdom will never arise. So how do we achieve this balance? There's a great lesson here. Behind that veil lies our true selves. The past will remain a mystery. The future remains a mystery, empty of meaning. But when we accept that every event in our lives will help form our character and that the future will continue to create ourselves through our decisions, then that sort of wisdom cuts through the mystery. It cuts that veil in half, and we're free to pass beyond into the future. The past does create the future, but the future also creates the past. That's the two sides of the scale. So in a divination, you lay justice down, and we say, well, something's out of balance. We need to balance it. That's a way oversimplification of this card, isn't it? Isn't it? And uh, when we look in uh, uh, indigenous cultures, uh, a lot of times, too, people say, well, justice, revenge, and restitution are the same thing, and they really aren't. Uh, when people often come to someone like me, a spiritual counselor, they want – they've been hurt. Someone in their lives may have uh, hurt them badly. They've experienced injustice, and they want revenge. They want payback. They want restitution. But that's not justice. That is not justice. And did you know that in many cultures, indigenous cultures, there is no word for revenge, but there is a word for justice. And justice is balancing the books, balancing the scale. It's not revenge, though. And uh, there's a story in the Cherokee culture where a young man went out and he's hunting and a snake crosses his path and he crushes the snake under his heel and throws it in the bushes. Well, unfortunately for the young man, that snake was the son of the king of the snakes, uh, a deity. And so the king of the snakes shows up at that uh, family lodge, knocks on the door. The father answers, and the king of the snakes says, good sir, your son, your son killed my son, and I demand justice. So it's your responsibility to kill your son and present him to me. You have son by sunset to do it. And so the father, realizing his responsibility to balance this debt, this is how the story says, balance this debt, to pay this debt, sorrowfully and with tears in his eyes, explains to his family what has to be done. And his son 
does not beg for his life, but agrees, and very sadly kneels before his father, and his father kills his son. He cuts his throat, I believe, and takes his son's body to the woods and presents it to the king of the snakes, and um, it's agreed that the debt is paid, that justice has been served. We'll be back after station identification. LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rootwork Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ollie, Sundays, 3 to 4.30, the Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays, 5 to 6, Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse, Fridays, 4 to 5, and The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix Le Fay, Fridays, 6 to 7, all time specific, Add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. Now I'd like to talk to you about a very exciting implication of this idea that the past uh, affects the future, the future affects the past. We are all the summation of the events of our past, but is the past a predictor of the future? Only if you let it. Only if you let it. And and the very exciting thing is we don't have to let the past control our future. If we accept responsibility for ourselves, it is a teaching in Buddhism and in many other philosophies that once you accept responsibility for your past, you can free yourself from it. You can only get loose from the past by becoming conscious of it, by contemplating it. Many people bury their past. They want to bury it, but they don't want to contemplate it. And a life without examination is really not a life worth living. If we examine our past, come to terms with it, and let it go, we're free of it. We're free of it. And many of the people that I know and talk to are still the summation of their past, which is not necessarily a good thing. That's like dragging a chain behind you, and that chain goes off into the dark woods, and you don't know where the end of it is, and at the end of that is a small child. If you follow that chain, there's a tiny child at the other end of it shackled by his feet, and you have to let that kid go. You'll never grow. So uh, if you're still conditioned by the past, you're going to continually repeat past behavior, and how is that working out for you? So that's why justice is standing there blocking the way to that veiled uh, whatever it is uh, behind those pillars. You're sitting there looking at that and going, oh, my God, what's behind that veil? Um, That's your future. That's the rest of your life. That card comes up. I'm itching with curiosity. What is behind that veil? And we know what's behind the veil of the high priestess. That's uh, the temple of Jerusalem. That's Solomon's temple. We know what it is. The Bible tells us what it is. Years of tradition, uh, the Knights Templar, they tell us what it is. We don't know what's behind that veil, but I can tell you what's behind that veil, your destiny. And your destiny was not written for you. You write it yourself with every decision you make. Your 
future is vast and strange and mysterious and wonderful. Now, we're responsible for that. And this is something that irritates a lot of people, uh, that the concept of karma is that things that happen to us are a result of our decisions. They say, okay, so if I get raped and killed and shot in the head, that's, that's punishment for what I did? No, no, that's not what karma means at all. No, no. It means that nothing happens without cause. Cause implies correlation. Correlation implies cause. And that there is a chain of events for everything that happens. And it doesn't mean you're being punished. It doesn't mean you're being rewarded, but there's a chain of events. And we have made decisions along the way that have led to things. And uh, karma has two parts, karma and vipaka, action and the fruits of action. And karma is not everything anyway in Buddhism. Karma is one of five things, five causes that causes events. If anyone tells you that Buddhism says karma is a result of everything, they don't understand Buddhism. Karma is one thing. There's also seed law, uh, cyclic law. Um, I'll I'll tell you all about that sometime, but there's five reasons why things happen. Karma is one of them. Seed law means that if you plant an orange tree, you don't get rice. You get an orange. In other words, it's genetics. And cyclic means things happen when they're meant to. You know, the seasons follow. Then there's... um, I'll, I'll tell you about that. I'm, I'm not going off topic, but it's also part of justice. You know, things happen when they're ready to happen. You can't force things. To ha- you cannot make summer happen in winter. Uh, things come in their proper time. But responsibility, accountability, um, and responsibility is not necessarily morality either. You, you don't have to do something because someone else tells you it's the right thing to do. But there is there are right things to do. There are things that we do just because it is the right thing to do, but not because somebody tells you it's the right thing to do. These are things that you have to figure out for yourself. But we have to be true to ourselves. Now, the thing about life and the world, and this is a truism, is that there are events and the truth is that we have to respond to every event. And that response is you you go forward, you go back, or you stand still. You have a reaction. That event can be positive, negative, or neutral. And ne- neutrality is a reaction. So as we respond to these, we're conditioning our growth, our personality, our character. And there are the scales. Are they going to are they going to go up on one side or in the other? So all of our instincts, all of our psychology, all of our spiritual development um, tells us that life has something more out there. There's an inner core in us, a spirit that's independent of the physical world that craves development and evolution. Now, our society sees this process of awareness, this inner being, as primarily psychological. Um, Previously in the past, before the rational age, this inner being was seen as a soul or spirit. Now, those of you listening to the show, show, 
probably agree that there's a spirit. The rational people say it's psychological, you know, it's a, it's a mind. But we all have this desire to grow, to get better, to expand. Behind that curtain we see injustice is what happens when we, when we ask these questions. What is the meaning of these things? What is the meaning of these things? Who am I? What am I? Where do I go? Or, as it was, as we have seen asked many times in the mystic traditions, and as uh, A.E. Way keeps coming back to, who does the grail serve? Oh, yeah, we keep coming back to that for sure, for sure. Now, what do we see in justice in the uh, uh, Tarot of Marseille? We see something a little bit different. We see... Uh, we do see justice with um, th the same images, sword in one hand, scales in the other, robed, no blindfold. <clears throat> but we don't see the curtain and the pillars. We don't see that idea that there's something mysterious and wonderful behind justice that we have to uh, get behind. The um, We're seeing a more classical image of, uh, of the Roman goddesses. Um, Etc., which, which is fine. You know, we're seeing the idea that there is a, uh, a balancing or a uh, restitution, a, a meeting out of uh, justice. Uh, I've always thought it interesting that in the Tarot of Versailles, the scales are off balance; they're not even, which means that there may be some right, that some wrong that needs to be righted, some something in your life out of balance, that something you might be looking for, uh, something that needs to be adjusted. In the Tarot of Marseille, but look how different it is in the Rider Waite deck. That addition of the pillars with the purple cloth. You know, there, some spiritual quest, you know, something missing, something you're looking for. Who does the Grail serve? You answer that question and uh, you become a god among mortals. But What's the big question people always – the big thing people always say, that ain't fair. <laughs> that ain't, it's, it's unjust. That ain't fair. And, oh, man, if you look at this world through a certain point of view, um, doesn't it seem like this world is unfair? Everything, there's there's unju injustice everywhere. And we have even coined a term, social justice warriors. Always looking for justice, always trying to right wrongs. And you know what? That is a path to heartbreak, and I, I salute you, social justice warriors. When I was a young man, I marched in uh, civil rights protests. I did sit-ins. I did uh, carried signs. I chained myself to posts. I got my head, my arm, and my rib broken by batons. I was thrown in a paddy wagon. Um, I escaped from a paddy wagon. I ran like the wind. Um did I make a difference? Did I change anything? Nothing I protested. Uh, nothing I marched against. Nothing I tried to change. It made a bit, not a bit of difference. Uh, those protests were more social events than there were political events, I think. I don't think 
all the outrage on Facebook is making a bit of difference, except the NSA is gathering a lot of information about a lot of people and uh, making it, you know, the databases get bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, I, I just don't think, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong, but the world has a lot of momentum. And I think the only thing we can change is ourselves. And if enough people change, the world change, because as Jidu Krishnamurti pointed out, we are the world. We are justice. We are the scales of justice. We are the sword that justice holds. And change of consciousness comes one mind at a time. And we have to change ourselves. And as we change ourselves, a radius of change occurs around us. And attempts to change each other, attempts to change another person is an act of violence. And violence only breeds more violence and resistance. And that that just doesn't work. You're never going to balance the scale by pushing it down on it. I've never known that to work. So this card, see, justice reverse, it's usually that attitude. Things are unfair. I'm being mistreated. Um, I'm wronged. Uh, they beat me. They hurt me. They um, mistreated me. And this attitude never uh, – an attitude like that can never be fixed. Um, no amount of restitution can never fix that. I've never known it to happen. When people have come to me wanting revenge, they never get enough of it. I, I even asked that question. I said, what would it take? What would it take to make you feel better? And the answer has been, I want so-and-so to suffer like I've suffered. And the problem with that is that never makes you feel better. So there's no end to that suffering. Um he um, he or she will never um, suffer enough because your suffering is never assuaged. Trust me, your your suffering is never uh, never assuaged. It will never end. You will never ever feel better. Um, there's nothing that makes you feel better. And so all I can tell you is that um, you will suffer endlessly, and so will everyone else. It seems like it's time for us to uh, bring this to a close. So I'll see you next week. This is the Reverend. We're moving right along, and uh, next week we do Trump number 12. I'll talk to you then, and goodbye.